The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents... Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Elliot Brown is our guest today. He's a reporter at The Wall Street Journal. He's also the co-author of a great book about WeWork's downfall called The Cult of We, and he's also a friend of mine. And let me tell you, Elliot is the king of saying, excuse me, everyone, what exactly is going on here when it comes to really crazy stories in the tech and the investment world? He said it early on in the WeWork saga, where the math and plenty more about that company uh, and its founder, Adam Newman, just didn't add up. And he's also been there for many more similar stories, including the SPAC boom that really never materialized into what the dreamers imagined it was going to be. Now, an interesting thing has happened. As the Fed has raised its rates, a lot of that froth has seemingly started to go away. We're not hearing as much about SPACs or about crazy investments in the crypto space, except for maybe their downfall. But it doesn't seem like they're being made as much as they were before. So Elliot is going to come on and talk to us about tech and crypto after the froth. How does that change? How does that change things that we've been seeing for so long? So as you listen, I'd say keep an ear up for some of the questions we try to answer, including was that froth good? Did it lead to innovation? And are we going to see some more productivity from people who start to turn to more productive uses of their human capital than the stuff they were doing when we were in the froth itself. And of course, how does that change the tech world and our economy and our investment world for that matter? I think it's gonna be a really fun discussion. And with that, Elliot, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be back. Great to have you back. So for years, you've talked about this kind of wild economy that we were living in. And I feel like you've been like the patron saint of calling it out. You obviously (laughs) said WeWork was a bunch of froth. Um, and you've talked a lot about in our conversations and on Twitter and in your stories about SPACs and crypto and investments and nothing like car companies that electric car companies that don't make cars. I just want to hear your perspective on what the reality is like. Is the reality that a lot of this froth has gone away now that interest rates are rising or are we still seeing a lot of that persist? Yeah, uh, I think that basically in 2022 and now into 2023 we like we have seen a a return to reality or a sort of near reality like if you you sort of um you know there's a lot of caveats to that and i don't think it's broad i still think there's a lot of sort of like the world that doesn't quite realize how much the floor has fallen beneath them but if you look at the 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 stock market and all, a lot of these companies that were startups in the mid 2010s and and um, were disrupting the world and, and, you know, industries left and right. And all the venture firms were, were piling money on to them. And, and Forbes was writing gauzy cover stories about them. Um, they're, they're sort of like, you know, have gone from really, really high valuations to things that seem like they make a little more sense. So, um, you know, my, my favorite hobby, I guess, for work was, was talking about WeWork and how, um, they were valued like a tech company when they were supposed to be a real estate company. And, and you could sort of apply that across the venture capital world. And um, if you look like scooter companies, uh, oat milk companies, car dealer companies, those are now valued like scooter, oat milk and car companies, not more or less, um, not like, you know, really profitable software companies. I want to ask the question underlying all this, which is, is this good? I mean, there's been, you know, obviously investors have been hurt by some of the wacky valuations out there. But overall for our economy, there are some that argue that the fact that there was all this money flowing into quote unquote innovative spaces meant that we were getting more innovation, uh, which was which ultimately betters the world. What do you think? If that dries up, isn't that an issue? Yeah, I think it's a really complicated question. I think that that is like, what, what good does a bubble do? And, and, um, and, and I think it's at this point, you know, undeniable to use the word bubble, even though some in VC probably still would cringe. Um, but, 
uh, like, I think you always do get some sort of things created in bubbles that you would not have otherwise that actually are useful. Um, so, uh, you know, like in England, uh, in, in the 1840s or something like that, maybe 1860s, they, they built so many rail tracks that, uh, like it was like 7% of GDP in the UK was, was going to like rail, railroads, uh, for, for a year, something like that. And, um, you know, the result was they built a lot of extra rail tracks that go places. And, and same with like in 1929 in New York, where, um, everyone was just thinking a great idea was to invest in office skyscrapers that, uh, hadn't been built yet. And so they built some really cool architecture that in, in the end didn't really have many tenants at first, but is there for, you know, a hundred years plus now, um, I guess 90 years plus now. And, uh, it, you know, looks really nice on the skyline. So, um, what is the corollary today? Uh, you know, we've gotten a huge amount of investment in electric vehicles, uh, that we wouldn't have gotten. And we probably got some, some, you know, drone technology and maybe even flying taxi technology. We'll see, uh, that, that probably wouldn't have come otherwise. And, um, probably a bunch of other things, maybe even like sped up, um, mRNA vaccine technology. Artificial uh, but, intelligence, I would throw in uh, as well. Let me say that again. AI. I would AI, throw AI yeah. in. Um, I, like, I mean, yeah, the, uh, open AI got a ton of money out of this, this sort of hypey world. Um, but, uh, look, I mean, if, if you like, is the, the general idea of being ignorant to reality something that's good? Uh, no. Um, I, it, it, in my humble opinion, I mean, like, you want to know what the was actually, real in, in this world and, and not just hype. And, uh, like it's, 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 that's sort of an important part of living, um, in society. And, you know, add on to that, that you, you have a lot of pension funds and, and retirement funds and foundations that are, are, are going to get pretty subpar returns having invested in this stuff. But you can't have perfect markets, right? There's never going to be a situation where only the stuff that's merited is funded and the stuff that's not merited is not funded. I wonder what's going to happen with, you know, when we think about what's going to happen after the froth, right? Startups, for instance, are going to really struggle to raise funding or, or some of them will, will shut down. Um, and we're going to actually, we're going to go through like some more public companies, but we should talk about startups at the start here. Um, is, is that, what do you think happens there? I mean, is that a concern? I mean, historically, we're still seeing just extraordinary amounts <laughs> of, of money that like are going into startup land. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, a lot less than, than 2020, you know, one, uh, 22 was a lot less, but it's, you know, in many, many, I, I forget the stat. <laughs> um, it's, 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 I think like well above historic norms for how much we're going into startups. I, I presume to a certain extent that'll continue into 2023. So, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't see it as some sort of, uh, enormous market failure that, that we aren't going to have 2021 levels of, of frothy, you know, bubbly money being thrown at startup land. Right. What do you think we got out of this? I mean, we guess you talked about some of the, these electric vehicles, but let me ask you specifically about this in regard to like, cause so much of the speculation and the froth was around financial stuff. It was around specs. It was around crypto. Um, probably some others I'm not thinking of. Did any good come out of that? Yeah. I, I think that actually if, if, you know, we, we need more time before you can really look at back at this on a, with a historic lens, um, especially to see what's come out of the past couple of years when funding levels were at their highest and it takes a while for companies to really be created. But, uh, you know, if you look at the past 15 years, um, and, and what was really created that that's paradigm changing out of the venture world. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some pretty obvious stuff uh, again, like Moderna was venture backed. Uh, so that, that, that seems like it did a lot of good, um, and, and it changed a lot of lives. Um, you know, the way we get around with the apps essentially on our phone that aren't owned by, by Google and Facebook, um, some of those have changed our lives pretty dramatically. Like Uber did change the way we get around cities. Um, 
but but is there some some extraordinary other breakthrough in in the same way that you you know like if, when the car was invented or or um, like the, the spinning jenny or, or or the cotton gin? Uh, like no, I I, I don't. Um, you know, I haven't given this an extraordinary amount of thought, but, but, um, I, I think that there's just a, a, an extraordinary cap amount of capital that went to basically like ads on Facebook, ads on Google, uh, to restarting coal power plants to mine Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, in other energy related to like crypto. And then, yeah, I mean, the whole crypto world is like, it's just like an extraordinary amount of investment from venture capital when in, in and humans, um, went into this world that, uh, you know, was, was very much just a speculation play. Um, same thing with SPACs. Yeah. And I think that's the, like the positive is that the human capital side of it, where like you're going to have people spending their precious brain power. You know, not on things like SPACs and <laughs> not on things like, you know, crypto exchanges, but on actual products that, that people can use. I, I, I hope that's the case. That would be good. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I mean, you know, speculation, right? Like that doesn't, <laughs> right. that's not too high calorie for society. And the other thing that the thing that like really um, is negative consequence of the froth is it's kind of like a sentence you've written many times in your stories where you end up having charismatic founders um, who sell vaporware, uh, convince investors to spend record amounts of money with them um, to support products that never really go anywhere. And that, that's been an all too common feature, I think, of the froth. You look at the Adam Newmans, uh, you look at the SBFs, um, when a venture company can write I'm talking about Sequoia here. I'm not going to even be coy about it. Can write a glowing profile of a founder, SBF, and laud the fact that he was playing but League of Legends in the pitch meeting. And that's part of the reason why they have to give him all this money. <laughs> Something has gone wrong there. And obviously, that has cost in terms of productivity in the economy and, uh, you know, for investor money and all the people that follow these leaders, right? That's the thing. It's like, well, you see Sequoia back desk, you know, FTX. Okay, maybe it's worth taking a job there. And that's sort of a negative consequence of the froth that we might be getting past. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And, and I had sort of the, the same thought about that, that Sequoia profile. Like, not only does it show like kind of the craziness of, of, um, the firm or, you know, of the, of the, the VC world at the time, but, but the, the fact that they thought that that was appropriate to, <laughs> to, to publicize. It just shows how out of time and that they, they, yeah, they, they gave a hundred plus million, um, kind of like with a snap of the fingers. Um, it just shows how sort of out of touch I think VC had become with, um, how crazy it is that they're, they're writing hundred million dollar checks with, with basically no due diligence. Um, and, and, uh, but, but that was at the time VCs would, would talk about that openly because within the industry, that's, that was the reality. Uh, and so, yeah, I think w w when you then tell that to somebody outside the industry, when it's turned into a bust, their, their jaw drops to the floor. It's like, what are they doing with this money? Right. I mean, like, what was that Mark Andreessen text to Elon Musk? Like our firm is in for, what was uh, it? It, Some it was like 250 million number. with, or, or whatever the number was with no additional work required. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this before Elon even said he was taking outside money. It, it's like, right. we don't even. He, maybe his plan is to burn it to the ground. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is interesting. I mean, the one thing that we can say for sure is we're living in changed times and a lot of that stuff will go away and, you know, hopefully it, it ends up going away and, and having a positive impact because of some of the reasons that we've listed. And I do note your point that we do need to live in reality. Uh, yeah, but who knows? Maybe, maybe the, the cure for, for cancer and, and eternal happiness will have been founded in the past three years. And but they, they, they probably could have raised some money <laughs> for all the time. You would hope if VC works the way that it should, and I'm not saying it does, but if VC works at all, then the cure for cancer and the self for eternal happiness should have been something that was funded. Here's what I think we should check back at on in 10 years. Um, I wrote about this once in one of the, the market is really hot stories. Um, Colossal, uh, which basically wants to recreate Jurassic Park, but with woolly mammoths. And so they're trying to genetically engineer a woolly mammoth. Um, and we, we got a hold of one of their pitch decks and it had a slide that basically looked like Jurassic Park. 
they said they were thinking like maybe we can monetize with amusement parks. Uh, so. And you buying or selling? Uh, well, I, I, I am, I'm merely, merely here to say, let's check back. Okay. Well, you know me. If Woolly Mammoth Park opens, I'm first in line <laughs> getting a ticket. I'm, I'm going to pet it. So, I mean, that's a lot. But I would. I would pet it. <laughs> I'm sure they can engineer them to, to enjoy being pet. Yeah. So let's, let's spend the rest of the time we have together um, continuing on this line, but actually like using some real examples of, I mean, we've, we've used some examples, but you know what I mean? Let's actually look at some concrete reporting that you've done and spend time talking about some of the companies that were responsible, you know, big, big players in this froth. Where do they stand today? What's going to happen to them next? First one, the most obvious one is SoftBank. Um, SoftBank has po- posted some unbelievable uh, losses, $35 billion in the first half of last year, um, I believe, according to your reporting. And uh, they're trying to raise a third fund, but they were the ones that were, you know, they were big funders in, um, in WeWork. Uh, you have some great reporting in your book, Cult of We, about their there's synergy with Adam Newman and how they outcrazied each other to the point where things became unsustainable. Um, but one interesting detail you have in a recent story is that Masayoshi's son, he doesn't, he's stepping back from their big earnings event where he would, you know, put wild memes up and really celebrate the earnings. And now he's going to basically turn it over to their CFO. So that to me is a sign that, you know, one of the big players in this, you know, frothy, era is now taking a more measured approach. What what should we know about SoftBank? Give us like a quick little check-in on what's going on there. Yeah, I mean SoftBank's just this, this continually fascinating company um because this you know guy it's re- really run by one guy and ha- who has at various points been by his count the richest man in the world. He says he was had said he was that for about 4 days in the dot com boom. Um and then he lost more money than anyone else had ever lost in the world. Uh because uh, SoftBank stock went down by, I think, 99%. Um, and then he rebuilt, uh, m- made two really good uh, investments that have basically carried the firm. And one of those was an early investment in Alibaba in, in 2000. I think. Um, and the other was the buyout of uh, Vodafone's Japanese uh, arm that has just given SoftBank billions upon billions to play with. So... Um, what he's managed to do in the past, uh, seven years, six years since the launch of the vision fund is spend more than anyone had ever spent by many, 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 many magnitudes on, uh, startups. And, um, it has gone, I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard to say how, how poorly it's gone. I mean, it's how poorly has it gone? So, you know, take it, the first vision fund at this point is marked at, at like a very slight gain. So it took like 90 billion and turned it into, uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to, you're going to catch me getting these numbers wrong. Um, uh, anyway, the, 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 the point is he's took, taken basically 140, 50 billion and turned it into, uh, over, over a six year period or so, um, five and a half year period and turned it into less than that. Uh, which is ve- very impressive uh, if you look at... Uh, <laughs> well, given the way the economy is Yeah, gone. I mean, even with with the recent drop, like go back to the NASDAQ in 2017 and, and put $100 billion in and see what happened. Like, that way you'd, you'd be up. Um, and so it, it's... It, the First Vision Fund kind of continues to impress with how crazily bad some of these investments went. I mean, a couple went pretty well, but, but in general, it, it, it was doing these really big bets on the companies that were losing the most money out there because who else would take a $2 billion check other than a company that is losing money? If you're profitable, you don't need $2 billion. So, um, you know, WeWork, uh, Uber, Didi, um, I think they may have made a slight amount of money on, on Uber. Didi's down, I mean, at one point it was down like $8 billion. Um, uh, Zoom, um, the pizza delivery robot company, I think that went to basically zero. Uh, View, they, they put a billion dollars into this, this smart window company that turns out like it was just actually a money losing window company. And so that, that's down over 90% since, since they went public. Uh, 
yeah, the, 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 I could go on for a while, but WAG, the dog walking app, uh, <laughs> the fun one. What do you think we learned about their thesis? I mean, that is an interesting thesis. You know, sometimes you need stuff to grow fast and maybe there isn't another investor that will put that money in. Was that fundamentally wrong? Like where, or was it just the ones they picked? So, yeah, I think w- w- they, they did two things. The Vision Fund One was the, the one where they basically went after the, the, the companies losing the most money. Um, like that wasn't the, the way they looked at it. They looked at it as, as the companies that could absorb the most money and had the biggest total addressable markets. Um, and I mean, that, that was flawed because, I mean, I think of what I said, like, because they were losing the most money, the, the, that's, that's pretty risky. And then when you give a company that's losing $2 billion, even more money, <laughs> they're going to lose more. Uh, yeah. Um, what they did for the second vision fund was at least theoretically better, uh, if they had done it in 2017, which was basically been on the entire market. Uh, so they, they spread, they sprayed money. Uh, as opposed to surgically dropping $2 billion checks. Um, and that, the problem with that was that that was when the market was like the time that they stepped on the gas the most was when the market was by far the most overvalued. Um, and so, I mean, there, there's a strong school of thought that Masa from, from, you know, analysts and others that, that follow SoftBank that, that this chief of, of, of uh, SoftBank Masayoshi Son is just sort of like the classic momentum investor. And when times are good, uh, when, when, when essentially prices are overvalued is when he wants to invest the most. And when they're undervalued is when he wants to invest the least. Um, and so yeah, he's definitely been following that pattern. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens. He's, he's kind of pulled back, uh, to near zero. Where was all that money coming from? Um, so, I mean, a huge amount of it at first was the, the, the Arab, uh, you know, the Gulf, uh, Saudi monarch or, um, Sunni monarchies. Um, so, uh, the Saudis and, and the UAE wealth funds. But then, uh, for the second vision fund, it really was just SoftBank's money. Um, and that was coming from basically Alibaba and the Vodafone buyout that were just essentially spitting out billions, uh, for, to, instead of going to shareholders, went to, uh, VC-backed companies. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So that's that's going to dry up, you would imagine. Yeah, I mean, the, the Vision Fund 2 is not looking good. It, that one's way down from from the amount that they invested. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're taking a while to sort of mark down the private assets, which I think everyone's doing, um, like Tiger Global 2. I mean, yeah, yeah. So talk about Tiger Global. Um, they're the other one that's been, basically, if you were a decent startup, you could effectively get a massive term sheet with them with, again, like very little due diligence. I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it a bit, but that was the sense. You could speak to VCs and they would go against Tiger Global and be like, all right, this is no competition. I tap out. Yeah, I, I found it amazing how open, upon you know, looking into it some, and, and about how open the, the Tiger Global partners were with startups about how essentially lax they were. And so, you know, their, their line to founders was essentially like, we've done some research on you. We hired Bain. Like we've, we, we, we know lots about your company. So they, they would hire a consultant to sort of like learn about the company and do customer calls. And then they're like, we don't want a board seat. Like that's not our thing. We don't want to mess with the terms. We just want to give you money. Um, and I like, it was, it was a, many conversations like that that they would have. Uh, and they, they like, they were in this sort of, money deploying business at the time. And so they too, like SoftBank, um, precisely like SoftBank, saw the, the, you know, frenzy and decided that was a good time to really step on the gas. Uh, and so they, they raised the, the essentially like, I think it was the second largest venture capital fund, maybe the third ever, um, at, at the absolute peak. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it was something, it was many times the, the size of their funds a couple of years earlier. So, uh, you know, bubbles are, are fascinating in that they, they do, they have this effect that the more overvalued things get, sort of the more people want to bet on them. And, and, uh, you know, these, this cycle, those are the two companies that, that on startups, those are the two companies that, that really stand. Where was Tiger Global's money coming from, and are they going to still have uh, 
that source of funding? Theirs was more broad based. So they did mm. have a lot from, you know, Scott Schleifer, um, Schleifer, uh, who's, who's a partner there and, and runs the private business. So he put in, I mean, he told others he put in over a billion dollars into their, their last fund. Um, so it's not a, con- it's, it's not one of these funds where the, 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 the partners at the, the investment fund just had 2% of the fund. He had, he had, um, a lot. Um, that said, most of the money was from, limited partners and, and we know some but not many uh where it's like some retirement funds um some foundations uh some sovereign wealth funds uh sort of a, a yeah a, and then some undetermined number of other rich people like they were they they tapped the investment banks this is kind of unusual in dc they they they, they tapped the investment banks to go to their high net worth clients and be like hey try to get into tie global and so that they would get sort of like hundreds of, of people to put it's in. a smart strategy yeah i mean it, these are are rich people but not super rich people um it, whereas a lot of times the the venture firms are usually just going for foundations endowments and the super rich right uh, but says tiger expanded that democratized it to the merely rich and they had a lot of money to you know to boot so um where do the lps now put their money like they are they moving to bonds like where on the risk ladder are they going because if they're not in startups right well, they all like have when, less money. Uh, oh, so. they have less. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a complicated question, but, but yeah, I think like at, at a really broad level, like what's happening is that, uh, you know, for, for a decade plus, you, you were getting basically nothing if you put money in a U.S. Treasury bond. And now you're, you're getting something. Um, and so some number of, of people out there are shifting their funds to be like, oh, well, 3% is good enough or, you know, 4% or, or you go to, a fixed, another type of fixing and product and get 11%. Um, and so, you know, you go with this thing that's like a little more, um, it does give you a, a percent as opposed to zero. Uh, and then you have less money to spend on sort of risky things to try to get up to like a 7% return, which is what a lot of these pension funds and, and money managers are trying to hit on average. So, um, yeah, the, the broad level, like, yeah, there, there's money being shifted out of these things in, into fixed income. I think on the sort of like more applied level, it's like people are just not really allocating much, at least to alternative assets right now, generally. And they're just sort of like, being like, let's see what happens with the, the where the floor goes. Um, at least that's my, my sense, but, but, um, from talking to some people in that world, but, uh, that's less scientific. Okay. Now there's always an exception to the rule, right? When these companies pull back, there is maybe an opportunity for another to come in and sort of make some smarter bets in the same echelon, but also um, not make the mistakes. Uh, is Andreessen Horowitz that that firm? Uh, you know, they are they are sort of feeling the shoes in some ways. We talked about what they did. With Twitter, uh, it seems like they are going to be in on a big round uh, from SpaceX, right? Which is, uh, let's see, I, I, we were planning to talk about this in the second half, but we probably will. Um, but uh, you know, they're they're trying to raise um, a good a good amount of money, um, and then uh, you know, <laughs> they I mean they they put three hundred fifty million uh, in Flow, which is Adam Newman's new company, which. You know, they, I think they, I feel like they subtweeted you in the announcement saying they don't care about the media. They're there for the founders. Um, what do you make of what they're doing? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a little hard to discern too many trends, uh, with them because there's not a huge amount of sample sizes of, or the sample size isn't huge for, for the number of, of like high profile investments that cut against, you know, the broad trends. Um, but yeah, between the like, uh, Adam Newman investment and, and the Elon Twitter investment. I mean, those, and, uh, there's one other that, that, um, people often mention. I mean, it seems like they're, they're, they're trying to, particularly with the Adam thing, um, say like, we're going to be different. We're going to keep spending money. We're going to back founders, even if they're controversial. Um, like maybe it's a sort of, yeah, subtweet of the media. Uh, that, that's kind of what it seemed like with, with, um, that was certainly a popular read with, with the Adam Newman investment. I mean, it was their biggest investment ever, right? $350 million. From their flagship fund, at least yeah. they said. Um, that's what someone wrote. Um, 
Yeah, I mean that you know that that surprised me. <laughs> uh-huh. Like I, I always expected him to raise again. Uh, I, I wouldn't have expected it to be such a big check at such a big valuation. I mean, that that new company is worth over a billion. It's basically the same valuation as WeWork, hmm. uh, and it hasn't even launched yet. Um, right, so like WeWork is is worth about a billion dollars right now, maybe billion one by the day, um, and and Flow is worth. That is the exact worth we even know it, but it's over a billion. Um, and it, you know, that has some real estate assets in it, but not a billion dollars worth. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't, um, Mark Andreessen has done a lot to, to make clear he does not seem to like the, the broad media, uh, like mainstream media, which is funny given how much he courted it earlier in his, uh, venture career. But, um, you know, to the extent that's actually what drove this. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. otherwise with them, uh, I don't really know. I mean, they, they raised a huge crypto fund, um, r- right after and, and like really just bet huge on this web three thing. And they're going to have more money to spend out of that because they didn't spend that much of, of, of the biggest fund. Um, so they, they have more dollars just to spend and you don't really, you know, are they going to spend on Web three? I mean, well, you're 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 paid to when when people give you this money over you have to spend it. for ten years, like your job is to spend it. And even if they have have um, buyer's remorse, like <laughs> I haven't heard of people getting their money back. Um, so uh, you know, and that, that that's the way these things are written. So uh, I expect we'll um, be hearing more from them. And then you know, you can see like with 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 Tiger Global and, and maybe Andreessen, we'll see what happens, but. The, these funds like to keep raising more funds, um, probably for a lot of reasons, but, um, like Tiger's trying to raise a $6 billion fund right now. Uh, right. Okay. Um, we could talk about Andreessen's approach to the media all day long. Maybe we'll get to it at the end, but <laughs> for now, um, let, I'm just going to tease what we're going to talk about in the second half. There's a really interesting story that you have out in the journal, um, co-author on about Palantir invested in 20, uh, startups. Um, and they, they spacked and, um, what happened to those SPAC investments that Palantir made? It's an interesting question. We'll discuss it after the break. Elliot Brown is here. He's a reporter for the wall street journal, co-author of the cult of we, uh, big technology is actually number one book for 2021. It was, uh, one of the best reads on tech and investing that I've, uh, ever gotten my hands on. And I admit Elliot's a friend, but even then, um, it's not really coming from a place of bias. I thought it was so good. Uh, crushed it cover to cover. All right. We'll be back in the second half. We'll talk about Palantir SPAC bets. We'll talk a little bit about SpaceX, Twitter, and Tesla. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll see if Elliot's optimistic about anything. It's always a question I like to ask him because he tends not to be. Back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Elliot Brown. He is the co-author of Cult of We, great book about WeWork, also a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Um, so before the break, I promised we'd talk about Palantir SPACs. I think it's so interesting that a public company would actually also make its own investments in startups. Um, it's definitely untraditional. Uh, it has made 20 startup investments, according to a story that you co-wrote recently in the journal. Um, they are down more than 80% on average. One's gone bankrupt, another is delisted. Uh, from the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and more than half are warning that they're going to go bust. Holy moly. Could go um, bust. What, could go bust. What What's going on there? <laughs> um, it's actually really complicated and fascinating. I mean, basically, um, what Palantir did at the beginning of, of sort of SPAC mania in 2021 was decide to really bet on the sector. Uh, which is very strange for a company that that is is very unprofitable, um, for one to be to, you know plunging a bunch of money into to speculative companies um, that were uh, by by many counts extremely overvalued, and and then you know so that, that, that's one part of it, and I think the way they were um, sort of the the, the uh, bullish way to look at it is that what they were doing is is they were both betting on new companies, but but as a way of also tying them into the Palantir world and, and basically their software. So they yeah, were sounded smart for each of these companies. What they would do is um, agree to invest in the SPAC deal. And so give them a, a ch- chunk of investment, which is what those companies were looking for at the time. And then they would turn around and also say like, Hey, um, let's sign a contract uh, where you buy our software. Um, and these are not small contracts. I mean, um, you know, they were usually the same amount of size than the investments. So it'd be like, we'll give you 20 million. And then you commit to a $20 million software uh, contract over, you know, three to five years. It's a nice way to show revenue growth. Right. So, so the, <laughs> the, 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 the cr- critique here from, from, um, you know, analysts, short sellers, uh, probably some long sellers that a lot of observers is that this was buying revenue. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, these things weren't, you actually look at the contracts. Some of them were were pretty explicit that they were very much tied together. So there wasn't an effort to really deny that they, they were, uh, untied. It's like they, they did 20 SPAC investments and they got 20 contracts. So, (laughs) um, the, I think what, what the, the part that that got a little concerning with was when they then would tell their, in Palantir would tell its own investors, Hey, look at all our revenue growth. <laughs> and, and that's mm-hmm. what was behind their really high valuation at the time. So investors were really excited about how fast this company was growing revenue. Um, and so, but then if you really look under the hood, you're like, well, this commercial unit that seems to be showing all the growth that a lot of that is, is coming from these, these companies that, that you're, um, paying you know, to be yeah, your customer. Yeah. So what what are the consequences of that? The consequences are the Palantir's lost a lot of money on that. So I mean they put in over four hundred million. Um, they got some back in the form of contracts, but um, you know so a lot a lot of that could go away. That that's sort of the worry from analysts that that uh, like a lot of literally like many of these companies could go bankrupt or, or otherwise insolvent. Um, and I mean a lot of them don't even have a product, right? Like. Uh, uh, what's the one? Lilium. It's a flying taxi company that's planning to use these jet-like engines that aren't really in existence anywhere, to my knowledge. Um, and, you know, they say they're going to be ready up and flying by 2024, I think. Uh, it's like, well, this, this product doesn't even exist. Uh, like, maybe. Um, but uh, who knows? And and there, there were a bunch of um, electric vehicle-related companies that they put stuff into. Um, some direct consumer or e-commerce companies. Uh, and some of them was very strange. It was like you'd commit $20 million to this company boxed. And then on the same, you know, within days, uh, usually within 30, um, they had to give back a huge amount of money as a prepayment for this contract. So box like gave 15 million of the 20 million it got from Palantir right back to them. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> it's really wild. I mean, that's pretty blatant. 
anyway, Palantir says they regret it, and um, yeah, uh, and here we are. And their stock is 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 down. I mean, they're like many of the, these companies we were talking about earlier. I mean, like that was a company that was was valued at tw- twenty billion in something like twenty fifteen or fourteen, and, and and is today worth like fifteen. Yeah, their market cap is actually thirteen billion. Thirteen, wow! And they are down about thirty percent from their IPO, or from going public. Right? They, I think they spacked also. Mm-hmm. Or they, they did. They, they, they did a direct listing. Yeah, direct listing, and uh, from their peak where they were around thirty-five dollars a share, they're now six dollars and forty or forty something cents, which is a decline of eighty percent. Square rooted. Yeah. So it's, it's not where you want to be. So I guess. You know that's the that's the end of that. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious what you think. Speaking of of financial games and stuff like that, what's going to happen with with Twitter and Elon Musk's investment? I mean, we're talking on Monday where Tesla is down like 13 percent already on the day, uh, and it's not anywhere close to over. And Elon has this like 13 billion. So Twitter has a 13 billion dollar debt that it needs to pay. And I guess there was always this belief that maybe Elon could continue putting his personal money into it. Um, obviously Morgan Stanley has a role in that 13 billion. Um, and you know, it has to make about a one, one billion dollar interest, uh, payment every year. Um, what are the likely scenarios here? Does Elon's decrease in net worth actually make it more difficult to sustain Twitter? It certainly does. I mean, you know, I, I don't know, like to be, to be clear, I, I haven't been covering this. I've been, right. um, uh, you know, I, I know how to read a couple numbers, but not many. Um, in the 10 K, uh, which they no longer produce at Twitter. So, um, this is all idle speculation, but, um, yeah, I mean, like the way margin loans work and sort of one of the things that was appealing, I think to the other investors in Twitter is like, well, Elon's got all the money, like, you know, he's put in some huge amount of the equity in, in this investment. And so if things run into problems where he can't pay the debt, uh, he can just, Take more money out of his Tesla stake by borrowing against his shares, um, or, and then put that toward repaying the debt. Uh, so basically, like like a mortgage, if if you are if if you aren't generating enough money to to pay the mortgage, and you have a bunch of cash somewhere else lying around, you can just pay off the mortgage, uh, right? Like, and and then you don't have to worry about interest payments. Um, if if Tesla stock goes down by 80%, Elon can't, you know, raise money from that by borrowing, which was a, a kind of easy way for him to raise money. He would either have to sell Tesla shares, which uh, he's done some of, but but you have to sell more of them when the price is down a lot. Um, but also at a certain point, that gives him a lot less ownership of, of Tesla. And that's something he clearly seems to want, um, used to think. Uh, and then if they keep going down, then then selling te- Tesla share just doesn't even bring it down. So, um, I think that, like, that it will be a, if, if trends continue, the, the question of what happens with the, the, the debt at Twitter is, is a huge question. And, like, that is a, an extraordinary fixed cost, uh, that they have for, you know, in, until the death rate. Do you think Musk has a chance of being ousted at Tesla? I mean, I, I shared this on Twitter earlier, but it's down 71% over the past year. 51% in the past six months. Tesla is yeah. the world. Tesla produces, you know, um, I used to know this off the top of my head. Um, they, they are basically 2x more valuable than Toyota. Toyota produces something like, not, no, VW produces like 9 million cars a year. And, and their Tesla is five times more valuable than VW, four to five times. Uh, Tesla produced like 1.2 million cars last year. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a, that company is still by any normal measure of car companies, uh, extremely valuable. It's valued like a tech company. And that is because Elon is the CEO. So, um, getting rid of him as CEO, uh, I don't know. Maybe you could find someone else to convince the market to value it that high, but it seems just, just here from the cheap seats, like, it, it seems he is a big part of that valuation and you take him out um, and, and it's worth less. The, we actually always said the same thing about Adam Newman and WeWork. Uh, like the only reason that was a $47 billion company was because of him. 
And so if you changed him when it was worth, you know, when, when its valuation was falling or they weren't um, raising as much money, that would really uh, make it hard for that company to be worth very much. Um, they did oust him when they were near their own insolvency. Uh, but that was when they were near their own insolvency. And, um, and well, you know, then they put a real estate CEO in and now it's worth a billion dollars. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So he's probably safe at Tesla. What do you think the year ahead looks like for him at, you know, at Twitter? I am just bad at predicting anything with that man. Um, I have <laughs> no idea. I just yeah. hope we spend less time reading about it. Um, uh, but uh, it really has this, it's, this this magnetic quality where like journalists, myself included, who just like, I don't want to read about this, but I can't look away. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know um, is, is the short answer. And, and just praying we, we don't spend the entire year talking about it. Oh, I think we will. <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing about someone like Elon is he's done a lot of impressive stuff, uh, you know, in his life. And I think the media has written pretty glowingly about all the impressive stuff that he's done. And just as a, as a media story, you know, you're always looking for something new. And it seems like, you know, reporters are now like going bananas trying to find problems. And of course, he's creating a lot of them as well. And each little bit of his on the way down, like it, uh, it becomes a big story. And I, I actually, I think, unfortunately, this is sort of what society does is it builds people up and then it breaks them down. Uh, and it happened with, I mean, it sort of reminds me a little bit of the, like the Britney Spears story and the Kanye story <laughs> where like, it just, there's so much attention placed. There's so much like, cause yeah, there's so much buildup when it comes to a generational talent and then all the cameras flock and they wait for you to, to mess up. And then it becomes this thing where it's very tough for an individual to handle. Yeah, I mean, this is a much more both psychological and philosophical question that I'm, that I'm good at analyzing. But like, how much of, of that is also um, a result of like, how much does the, the, the megaphone and magnifying lens change them? Um, and certainly with with some of the CEOs that I've I've covered, um, like you can see that the, the the more magazine covers they're on, uh, kind of like the more their ego goes crazy. And yeah. kind of like you're really reinforced. I think it's happening with SBF too. Like you're you're really reinforced. How to put this coherently? If you're if you're selling a dream, and, and you haven't gotten there yet, and then people give you a billion dollars or whatever, and then you go get on all these magazine covers, essentially because people gave you a billion dollars, not because you've actually achieved the dream. And they say how you are achieving this dream, like you, you think you've done it. And, and then you think even bigger because selling that vision got you to, got you all this money and fame. And, and I, I think that there is this tendency by that type of person, which is a lot of startup entrepreneurs to not, not remember reality and, and not remember that, that they, they're running a, a car company that's losing $4 billion a year. They aren't running a some successful Amazon of transportation. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what happened with uh, Elon Musk and Twitter, where the market was telling him anything he did was working. Uh, investors were telling him that. Uh, and the media was telling him that. And then he just became obsessed with Twitter and said, well, I could do this too. And I think it's just as simple as that with the Twitter story. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I cannot possibly imagine to get into his head, but <laughs> that seems plausible. Yeah. Okay, let's let's round this out um, as, as with uh, with the ultimate question for you. Anything you're optimistic about? Or are you feeling optimistic? Uh, you know, in 23, I feel like the beginning of the year is always always a start to you always start with high hopes. I was really optimistic about how quickly I could do a mini home renovation, you know, project, and yeah. man, was wrong about that. So that that was a very recent flawed optimistic uh, view. Um, I you know. Th- 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 um, I, I wouldn't say uh, put it in the optimism camp, I, I, but I am I am super impressed by the, the chat GPT thing. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, it, like, I, yeah, I normally am like gizmos don't impress me that much. But like the, the, the limericks that thing can spit back at you when you have a question and you want it to answer in limerick form are 
all day or, or ask it to give you like, you know, food recipes that it yeah. makes up in delivered in Shakespearean form. I mean, it's, it's, uh, like, <laughs> it's pretty cool. It, it's, it's super yeah. cool. You it, like, I clearly we, we, it, it's hard. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people paid to do this. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking hard and have ideas that are better than me. So, but like one can sort of imagine that, that, that opens up some huge the sort of demonstration of this technology opens up some huge array of, of sort of other uses that are a lot more complicated than just like replacing journalists or cookbook authors, yeah. uh, which I'm sure it'll do some of at, at some point. It's not a great writer. Uh, but you know, yet. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> neither am I. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, same uh, here. Um, and what else? Uh, I don't know. Um, at some point, like driverless technology is going to happen. Like it seems to be getting closer. I don't think it'll be the sort of, like 2015 when everyone thought, oh, in three months we'll have this and the entire economy is going to change as a result and everyone will be paying three cents to drive across the country. Like that's obviously not going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, transportation is a really big part of our lives. Uh, so, uh, Well, thank you, Elliot Brown, for appearing on the podcast. Your insights and expertise were greatly appreciated and added value to the discussion. We're grateful for your time and willingness to share your thoughts with our listeners. Thank you again for being part of the show. Um, best podcast in town. Happy to be here. Yeah. Chat GPT wrote that, by the way. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Really? I just, I just had it right or not. I said, uh, I said, uh, thank you. Thank Elliot Brown for appearing on the podcast. And uh, next time in Limerick. Crushed. <laughs> okay. Should we do it? Let's just do it. And then I'll let you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do it in Limerick form. <laughs> oh my God. This is amazing. Elliot Brown, we must confess, your appearance on our podcast was a huge success. Your ins your insights and expertise, they shone like a star. Thanks for being part of our show, near or far. <laughs> We're grateful for your time and your kind words, too. You really made the episode something brand new. So here's a limerick just to say to you for being on a guest on our podcast. It's true. All right, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm outsourced. I'm outsourced. This thing is amazing. More of a poem than a limerick. I think, you know, they have specific rules about the stanza. You know, it's like, uh, there once was a boy named Alex. Well, this is why yeah. All right. Next well. version. All right. It's been fun. Elliot, thanks for joining. What a blast. Great having you. Appreciate it, especially on a short notice. This was awesome. Sure. And that will do it for us here on Big Technology Podcast. Thank you so much, Elliot Brown, for joining. What a great conversation, as always. Uh, thank you, Nate Guatney, for handling the audio on a short uh, notice. Really appreciate you, Nate. Uh, thank you for, for doing this, as always. Uh, thank you, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. Holy moly, we're into year two of this partnership. That's awesome. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. So we're actually going to have a new show, uh, a new episode, a week, starting Friday. I'm going to tell you more about it when we come on air next Friday. But Ranjan Roy is going to come on and be a permanent guest. Uh, permanent perma guest really where we're going to have a show once a week with him we're going to stream it live on linkedin and we're going to talk about all the news that happened uh in the week prior and I'm, I'm saying this because um it was clear to me over time that there was so much news breaking in the tech world we couldn't really get to it completely in our wednesday show and so now we're going to do it on a friday show uh ron john every friday and our regular scheduled show as usual on wednesdays more on that to come on friday but for now, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here with us year in, year out. We started in 2020, we did 2020, 2021, 2022. And now we're in 2023, the fourth year of the show, or at least the fourth year that the show exists. That's pretty cool. And it wouldn't happen without you. Okay, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.